Welcome to the Sell or Die podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Gitterer. Well, in this podcast, we're going to help you attract more qualified, unbelievable, ready-to-buy clients. And the one thing you're hoping for blows more deals. It's time to sell or die. One of the things I find fascinating about gyms is they have no concept how to sell a membership, and they all rely on bullshit in order to be able to get somebody to join. Yeah, we could dive down that rabbit hole for a long time. It, people just don't understand, and they don't know how to question. The, the person who sells the membership has no concept as to getting to the motive, the real motive of the person. How can I help you? I want to join the gym. How come? Well, I want to get in better shape. That's so surface level. So why do you want to get in shape? That would be a better question. So um, why don't you introduce yourself for the audience, and we can talk a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, wow. I'll try not to take up too much mic time and filibuster. Uh, so my name is Derek Batman. I am a business owner. I have been a gym owner for 12 and a half years. I started that gym. I actually dropped out of college to start that gym. Um, I dropped out in the middle of my senior year, which was crazy and mom and dad loved it. So yeah, basically all the cards fell into my lap. I had a, I had established um, an in-home clientele base while I was in school. Um, I had about 20 or so in-home clients that I was working with. And one of them, speaking of selling, I convinced him to give me a private loan to start the first gym, which was a giant check of $25,000. And I spent every penny of it on equipment. So I opened a business with $0 to my name and I had to pay rent month one. So it was like, figure it out or you fail. Uh, so that was, I was 22 at the time. That was in 2011. Uh, and then less than a year ago, I started a branding company and we do everything from website design, uh, media and content creation, branding videos, uh, logo design, marketing, advertising, and then sales and lead nurture training. And who is your average customer? Well, currently, just because of how I got into that world, uh, gyms are our bread and butter. Uh, but we mm -hmm. also have some e-commerce, real estate. Um, we're working with a developer in Philadelphia. So we are currently spreading our wings and just kind of dipping our toes in a lot of different industries to figure out. I always say to my my team, I'm like, I want to figure out uh, where we can provide the most margin and which clients are going to be the least pain in my ass. <laughs> so if I can find the marriage of those two things, then it'll make everyone's life much better. And a lot more pleasurable, thereby keeping your employees loyal rather than just your customers. For sure. You know, I, I, everyone talks about retention and they usually talk about it as it relates to their customers. Mm -hmm. I think the most important retention that you can focus on is your employees because retaining employees will reta retain customers because yeah. an employee or a better yet, a customer looks at the team and they go, if they're sticking together, right. And they're, they're all rowing in the same direction. This is a business I want to associate myself with. And I, I, I feel like that, that is such a, a huge component to growing a successful business. And when you're acquiring a new customer that people erroneously call clients, when you're acquiring a new customer, one of the questions that I'm going to ask the CEO is what's your average length of employee here in the company. And if the if it's, well, you know, we have a lot of turnover, that tells me something. And because mine is 15 years is average. You show me somebody that's got 15 year employees and I'll show you a, a good a good company, a good boss. Amen. And people who actually interact with each other without any kind of bullshit corporate whining. 
we we only have two genders here, and and that helps out an awful lot. But I provide yes. benefits that are beyond the norm. You know, you need health insurance? Great, I'll give it to you. You need a gym membership? I'll give it to you. And and that way, people feel valued. You need a little life insurance? Fine, I'll give it to you. And then we do stuff. You know, you can have the day after Thanksgiving off. I don't care. You know, take the whole weekend. Go have a blast with your family. I'm a very family-oriented person. And if you're sick, stay home. That's our policy on sickness. Some companies have a five days and then... Seriously? After five days, you come in and infect the whole company? And no, no you just stay freaking home. So those are things that enter into the equation of what you're doing, because when you take on a company, you need to know their culture first so you can really help them best second. Yeah, it's funny when you mentioned, uh, you know, avoiding the the corporate BS we have gotten involved with a few different businesses where they come, the, the owners or founders come from very corporate backgrounds. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of corporate speak that goes into the email exchanges. And uh, we we try to nip that in the bud really quick off the bat because it, it's almost like this baked in passive aggressiveness to communication that I'm like, this, this doesn't need to exist. Um, right. It's also a shield to try to keep the truth from coming out. And it's just honestly like it, if you can't send me an email with three or four bullet points, it, it's too long. I shouldn't be reading a novel to get to the bottom of what you're trying to get across to me. Correct. When I send somebody an invitation for LinkedIn, it says, put a message in here and I put two words, link me. <laughs> simple, simple and effective. I love it. Well, and I have 30,000 LinkedIn connections and nobody else does. And I have 60 some thousand followers and nobody else does. And I, I don't have celebrity status where I have 5 million followers where the you know, hang on every brand of what lipstick I use. But, you know, I have salespeople that are dedicated to my information and they need it. They want it, they need it. And when you're doing any kind of, of branding or any kind of, of uh, you know, putting your, your customers in an e-world, in a virtual world, in a digital world, there has to be something that keeps them coming back because it's so easy to hit the delete button. So easy. You don't have to take a call. You don't have to do shit. You can hit the unsubscribe button. You can hit the delete button. What's keeping them there? That's where the money is. Value. Yeah, totally. We're exactly alike on that. And actually, it's perceived value. Yes. However, I would would add to that that while their perceived value is important, the delta between that and value sometimes can be the reason why you have a hard time sustaining or or keeping churn low. Because perceived value can be the way that you make the sale, but it's not going to be the way that you keep the customer. Yeah, no argument with that. I I tell beautiful women all the time, your beauty will get you in the door, but your intelligence is going to keep you in the office. So there's a, there's a, a beginning and there's a middle and there's an end, and then there's an outcome. And the outcome is where you live your life. Um, it's, it is amazing to me how many people in the world, salespeople or business people don't understand message in terms of the other person. So let me give you a real example that happened yesterday to me. For years I have preached, give the message in terms of the customer, use the language in terms of the customer, communicate them and with them in the way that they want to receive the communication. Any argument with that? Nope. No. So I have a 14 year old daughter that I text and sometimes it takes her hours to text me back hours. And it's frustrating. Well, yesterday she snapped me and I snapped her back and she snapped me back. And then I snapped her back. And then I realized I've been communicating with her the wrong way. We snapped each other 11 times yesterday. I haven't texted her three times in years. 
Yeah, to draw a, a parallel here, uh, this is how I think of advertising on different platforms, right? The, the message and the way in which you are gaining attention differs mm -hmm. depending on what platform that you are on. And this Correct. is why it's it's important to curate your content, your copy, your headlines, and your messaging specific to each platform. Yeah, there's no two ways of sending the same message on the same platform. You have to you have to be different all of I mean, my kid has an iPhone. She's had an iPhone, ready for this, since she was four. Yeah, that's wild. And so she knows, you know, she's very fluent in, in phone. And she has chosen Snapchat as her main method of communication. That's her prime way of getting back and forth to people. And I didn't realize that. Like, she'll be in the car and say, you know, I have 185 return snaps. I said, what are you doing? She got for the most part, I ignore them. But well, she's she's learning to appreciate her time. So you can. Right. That's oh, a good thing. All kinds of things that are happening with her. But we can go into that in our next episode. <laughs> she will have her own brand and it will be global within three months. I love it. Listen, I, I'm all for kids and teens becoming entrepreneurs early. Yeah, that is right up my alley. The the uh, <laughs> when I go in, she's already an entrepreneur. When she goes into Sephora, you know what that is, a makeup store? Uh, unfortunately, yes, I do know what okay. that is. <laughs> so she looks at me and goes, what's my budget? <laughs> That's a thinker. She doesn't want to say have a no. She wants to know what, what her, you know. You know what's going to happen, though? She's going to start picking up your sales skills. And rather than well, asking for a budget, <laughs> she's going to start she selling into you. And, when it. she goes into Barnes & Noble, her budget's unlimited. It's a good, she good she reads a book a week. She reads a book a week. And not for speed, for comprehension and for understanding. And, yeah, what, and what's her what's her favorite uh, type of book? Well, she reads girly novels, so she's a, like a Sally Rooney fan, or a you know. There's there's still plenty of lessons baked in there. Oh my god! And then she is a classic novel, so she's reading Little Women or Catcher in the Rye or To Kill a Mockingbird. And then I'm slowly getting her into nonfiction because I, she has to learn. The stuff that you would write or the stuff that I would write. Yeah, to be honest, it, it, nonfiction is right now the only type of book that I read. Like there's not a single fiction book uh, on the shelf behind me. Yes, well, there should be. <laughs> well, so what I was going to say is that is that is a seasonal choice that will not forever be that way. Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead are both fiction. But my hat says Atlas Shrugged, now nonfiction. And you need to look at what writer, actual writer, is trying to give you a metaphor of truth. George yeah, I, can, I can appreciate a good story. Yeah, George Orwell. Um, and so you have to look at it from the perspective of sometimes classic fiction has truth to it that a nonfiction book can't give you sometimes. But then you look at something like, you know, Atomic Habits or Power Lessons or, you know, and you all of a sudden you're going, oh, my God, this is so true. It's scary. And then you take down what you need and you go to the next thing. One of the things that I'm challenging people with is how many times I'm involved in the Napoleon Hill Institute, which is an offshoot of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. The Institute is for profit and they're involved with getting people involved in coaching. And my opening question is. How many times have you read Think and Grow Rich? I have read it, but I have only read it once. There are plenty of books that I have read many times. That is not one of yeah. them. Um, so you have to look at it from the perspective of what they're trying, what communication level they're trying to do. And if you ask a question like that, you get a real answer as opposed to a bullshit answer. Like I read it twice and then I'll go, okay, when? And then when they read it also tells me stuff. And I was lucky 
in in the early days of my life in 1972, which is probably before you were born, I read it 14 times in one year. We had to read we had to do a, a book report on one chapter per day. And there's only 15 chapters in the book. So you kept on repeating, repeating, repeating. And then after about the sixth or seventh read, I go, I fucking got it. It'll never leave me. And you become an expert or a world-class expert at thinking positively of doing something for yourself that ends up in a in a goal that you receive. Are there any other books that you've read more than once? Lots. What are your favorites? My absolute favorite book of all time is Atlas Shrugged. And it's it's about, you know, if you ever see somebody wearing who is John Galt on their shirt, that's the opening line from Atlas Shrugged. And it's it's all about who's going to win, entrepreneurs or the government. And it's we're in that battle right now. We're literally in that battle right now. When the uh, battle, it's I'm standing with my sword and shield on the side of the entrepreneurs. So exactly, and I'm I'm in my reading room, and here is the epicenter of my library. This is like a I'm gonna say a 200 or 300 book. Exam. You ever hear? Uh, you ever heard the saying, "Never trust a man whose TV is bigger than his library." Yeah. Oh, totally. I don't even have a TV. Um, well, I do, but when Gabrielle comes over, she's gonna watch certain bullshit. <laughs> I'm not a TV watcher. Football games occasionally, and that's it. And most of the time I watch them at a sports bar where I do not have a beer. I just, I'm a writer. Writers have to be sober. I violate that in Paris where I drink every day. <laughs> you have to. When the wine, yeah, the wine is, is unbelievable. And so I read, there's a guy who's my sales Jesus. His name is Elmer Letterman. I read the biography of Steve Jobs twice um i have read countless you know books of wonder literally books of wonder but predominantly about sales predominantly about attitude predominantly about business i'll read earl nightingale 10 times because his his truth is just scary and sometimes you're listening to it and you you dwell on one thought and you realize that the that the the recording has gone on for five minutes and you can't get off you got to backtrack like, oh, wait, I just missed five minutes ago. I was thinking about what he said. Same in reading. I read to understand and I read to to either take a note or take action. You? I, I've thought about this quite a bit recently because I, I took a long break from reading on a frequent basis, mostly because I was consumed with raising a daughter uh, and then running two businesses, one much of which can run without me and the other one that needed me to be entirely engulfed. So for me, it's reading has become incredibly intentional. Uh, if I'm mm -hmm. reading, I'm usually doing a deep dive on a specific topic and I will read two or three books on that topic and then I'll take another pause. And this won't last forever, but for the time being, I, I'm trying to improve a, condi uh, a condition or a behavior. And if reading is not is not moving the needle in the right direction, then there, I'm not learning, right? I'm not changing, I'm not, I'm not growing. So that has been my relationship with reading as of late. Um, but I will enter into a different season once, uh, you know, we have our kids and they grow up a little bit and I can, I can dive back into reading more frequently for pleasure. Yeah. Reading is to me, I'm just a, I am a nonfiction reader predominantly like 89 or 92%. And I'll have now, and I have this reading room where I can just reach and grab any kind of book I want. And it's right there in front of me. And I read a lot of books that are more than 100 years old. So the, I've heard that that is the best way to do it because most newer books are trying to sell something, whereas most old books were trying to pass information on. This is a book by Orison Swedmarden called He Can Who Thinks He Can. I bought it 
as part of a collection from the John Patterson Library. John Patterson, the guy who founded National Cash Register Company, now known as NCR. So this book is dated 1908. And in it, Patterson has underlined with pencil what he thought were the predominant thoughts. This book belongs in the Smithsonian Institute. I just have temporary possession of it. In it, the most powerful quote I have ever read, underlined by Patterson, it says, every child should be taught to expect success. Holy fucking moly. And because I'm sort of anti-woke, putting it mildly, I had Gabrielle, she, uh, in the seventh grade, I had my daughter, Gabrielle, who's now in the ninth grade. I took the quote, I blew it up, I made it pretty, I made 50 copies of it, and I had Gabrielle put it on every teacher's desk at the school. I became the antichrist of the school in like in a minute. <laughs> but the bottom line is, I'm living my ideals and my and my beliefs, but I can impact people one at a time. I don't have to stand on a mountain and scream my philosophy or my strategy. It's I'm in a one-on-one -on -one world. Yeah, Sales. well, you're going to have your greatest impact that way. Totally. So um, I have an idea for you. Go ahead and shoot. Um, do you know who Jay Abraham is? Say the name again. Jay Abraham. He's the marketing sounds... genius of the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. It sounds familiar. He taught Tony Robbins. Got it. And there's a guy who I guarantee you don't know. His name is Wyatt Woodsmall. I don't know them. Him. He taught Tony Robbins NLP. Pretty powerful. If yeah. you look at the Awakening the Giant book of Tony Robbins which I've read. Okay. He thanks two people. One of them is Wyatt. And so Jay and Wyatt and I are forming a mastermind. And it is so freaking powerful. It's not even funny. We're going to have a couple live get togethers and we're going to have uh, 10 other meetings for three, three hours or so where we pontificate and bring on other people, people who are thinkers and doers. I other love guys, Yeah. Other guys are freaking get it. Well, I want a hundred people in the group. And if you would like to think about branding it and making people respond to it, we might be able to work out something to play. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. That'd be a fun conversation. Yeah, you're a smart guy. I love that. I try. You, well, no, no, no. If you ask my wife, you might get a different answer. Well, I, I won't ask her then. <laughs> um, uh, I often tell people that they're entitled to their wrong opinion. <laughs> it's true. But the challenge that I have in this particular thing is I want to do this and make it legendary. And because the people who are in it are legendary, you know, I, I don't like to say it about myself, but I'm pretty fucking good. But Jay and Wyatt have my total respect. They start yeah. talking. Well, I so at this point, you guys already have authority. You just need exposure. You need awareness. Right. And I have lists and Jay has lists and Wyatt has kind of a list. But that's not what I'm after. I'm after the a better quality. I'm after the highest level people that I possibly can get because I want them to renew, 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 because they can't not renew. Yeah, I mean, we can, you know, off off air, definitely have a conversation around what would be the best infrastructure to build to reach the warmest leads possible uh, to attract the type of audience that you're looking for. They're going to have to qualify because we're only going to take 100 people. So they're going to fill out a form and then we'll- Do you know your price point? 25,000. Annually? Monthly? Yes, no, annually. Annually, okay. I want to get them in cheap and then keep them. So I can, I can speak to that a little bit um, because I'm part of a number of different mastermind groups and mentorship programs myself. I, I will have spent probably close to $60,000 in 2024 on mentorship and mastermind groups. And it has been, if not the greatest return on investment, because I think the greatest return on investment is the person you marry. But beyond that, I think it is the second greatest return on investment I've ever made. 
pull. And it's not just who the leader of the group is, it's who you interact with. Oh, it's the networking, it's the community. I mean, so I travel all over the United States throughout the year. I'll probably travel six or seven times this year and go to different uh, different meetups as part of these different masterminds. Mm -hmm. And the ability to problem solve and network with people that have dealt with like problems and have found solutions is just, it, it's it's called a mastermind for a reason, right? You're basically putting a hundred or 50 or 20 brains in a room and going, here's a problem. How do we solve it? And allowing people to collaboratively work together. You should also know that Mastermind has a history. The first recognized Mastermind was Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, and Harvey Firestone. And they brought in a guy named John Burroughs, who was not the John Burroughs of Burroughs adding machines. It was the John Burroughs of poems, you know, lifestyle, and, you know, just a, a person of the world so that he could be of sort of balance to these people that had fucking brains coming out of their ears. I mean, can you imagine what was going on in that mastermind? No. No, shut up, Thomas. Let me talk. <laughs> and then in the in the the late 20s, early 30s, Napoleon Hill wrote the laws or the law of success. And the first volume is mastermind. So he had already figured it out based on what he studied of other people that mastermind was the way to fly. And you can't say grace over the people that have that have given you information that you've turned into money or turned yeah. into a life scale or turned to, or turned into a change of philosophy. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that goes so understated because it's it's an intangible that's hard to wrap your mind around is the mindset piece that comes with getting around people that see the world through a different lens. They have different belief systems, and I think you know I. I I have a podcast, but I've always said that if I were to start a second one, which I will, it is either going to be find your parachute, which basically means jump off the cliff and figure it out on the way down, yep. or it will be break my beliefs. Because I feel like that second one, that that has been the, in essence, what my experience has been by getting into these different masterminds and mentorship groups is I get in there and my beliefs get entirely shaken up. I see the world differently. I see business differently. I see relationships differently. And it has been so transformative for me. And it, it's only after you're in it for a while and you look back. So when you first get in, you feel like the imposter because you are and you're very tense. But once you develop the friendships and the relationships and network and add value to the others in the group, you can then turn around and look behind you and see who you were three, six, you know, 12 months ago and realize, oh my gosh, like I am not only a different person, but like I view the world differently now. I had a mastermind that lasted two years, just recently split because the guy that I was doing with went in another direction. But the second year quadrupled the information of the first year. Same people, but until they relaxed, until they became truthful, until they opened up, until they you know, were challenged mentally, they stayed in their shell for three months, maybe six months, then opened up a little bit more. And by the time it was time to renew, that's when they really could get the full value. I almost think you need to have a membership where there's two years at a minimum because you're not going to you're not going to really get it. It's, it's kind of similar to how in the fitness space, I, I don't sell anything that is less than 90 days because it's going to take you 30 days. It's going to take me 30 days just to convince you to keep coming back. Despite the fact that you're sore, this is new. It's uncomfortable. It's change. 
And then 30 to 60 days, you start to adapt, but it's still incredibly hard, right? And then by the time we hit 90 days, it's like now a new habit can begin to form. So having someone come in on a free trial for a week is almost senseless. Bullshit, yeah. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. But when you speak of weighing food, the immediate humor that comes to my mind is, how do you weigh Oreos? <laughs> well, I mean, technically, because of how advanced we are with these food libraries on all these apps, you can weigh just about anything. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying it from a humor standpoint. For sure. The the challenge that I, I, I eat pretty well. Uh, I try to regulate my diet to where I eat good food, organic food, whole food, and I'm a salad lover, so that makes it helpful. But the challenge is that there's shit food. And I'll, you know, I'm a moth to a light bulb. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an entirely environmental in the same way that, you know, saying you can break your beliefs and shift into a different type of person by getting into a mastermind. You can also shift yourself into being an unhealthy person by putting a bunch of junk food in your environment, you know, and, and the opposite would be true. I would tell you also that I think this is extremely important. It's not just what you do. It's what someone else reports on what you're or how you're doing. So at my age, I have a holistic doctor and a East and a Western doctor. I listen to my holistic doctor 10 times more than my than my regular medical doctor because they're they're about pills. It's a windmill. You're not a windmill. It's it's a it's a puppy mill. I mean, they're trying to get you in and out. Yeah. Well, I have a private service. I have I have my doctor's cell phone. We talk, we're friends. I've been members of the conscientious the conscientious service for 15 years. So it's not I actually like I, I had a, a concierge doctor come on my podcast. It was fascinating. I've never waited more than three minutes in the waiting room ever. And I always get a phone call. How you feeling? What's going on? What's the, what's the deal? How'd the medicine work? Yeah. But I'd rather be cured, not, not treated. Being yeah. And that's, different. I mean, that's, that's why, you know, I am, I have chosen the the fitness journey because I, I believe in preventative medicine, right? I believe in preventative health and getting these, getting ahead of these things long before they become issues in the first place. Yeah. And there's a thing of God that enters into it, and I don't want to get more spiritual than I have to, but you've been given genes based on your parents or based on other things that are in the world, and some people are weaker than others, and I'm supposed to be dead. By by statistics, I'm, I should be dead now, but my blood tells me I'm going to live till I'm 100 or more, and I don't know how that happens. Like, they gave they give you this test of what what's in your veins, you know, what's clogging your veins, and for the last 10 years, mine has been zero. And how does that happen? Well, I, I'm going to tell you how I think it happens. I think it happens from cayenne pepper. Spicy food doesn't hurt. I think, I, literally, I think it happens from, like, take a, a little, you know, an, an eighth of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper and put it in apple juice and drink that. Fucking burns like crazy, but it's clear in your, it's clear in your arteries. I have a, a grandmother who is in her 90s, and she... She makes this hot. So I grew up in the country and my my parents had a large garden. So I was very used to everything grown in there, but especially hot peppers. And my dad would put jalapenos and, and habaneros and just about everything when we were growing up. So I got accustomed to spicy food very, very at a very early age. But my grandmother would make this uh, like hot pepper tincture and even my dad couldn't take it. And <laughs> she has drank that her entire life. She still drinks it and she's she's in her 90s now. Yeah, there's a reason. I'm totally believing that everything we need to keep ourselves alive for a pretty long time already exists in nature. Yes. We're, yeah. We're I mean, it's, it's if you look at most of the, the culprits of food uh, that do the opposite, right? And, and oh my God. lead us toward an early death. It is the opposite of that, right? They, they are hyper-processed, 
hyper palatable foods. But every once in a while, you have to have McDonald's French fries. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I always tell everyone everything in moderation, including moderation. Like sometimes exactly. like when you go to when you go to Paris, man, you're not you're not there to to be the moderate. No, I'm there for the cheese fondue and a glass of wine and fuck you if you don't like it. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> but here's the deal. We don't know each other. How can it be such a pleasure to talk to somebody for an hour that you don't know? Uh, I mean, we, we have enough in common. The fact that we started this conversation on the fact that we're both Eagles fans just kind of like gave us the runway. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, but I feel like there's a, there's way more than that. I think there's an intellectual camaraderie that we should continue. Yeah, no doubt. I, I agree with you. Um, where's your book? Which book? The one you wrote. I didn't write a book. Because? Because I haven't had time yet. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Once once both companies are uh, in place, the, the marketing business is scaling very quickly and, and scaling my need for attention and time uh, as well. So once, once that gets to a place where I have the team in place uh, to be able to take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit, or at least not be the one on the pedal as much, uh, I am all ears and, and uh, in consideration for, for a book. It's one of the things I do. I help people who should have one, have one. I'm more than happy to have that conversation. So go birds and let's figure out what the next thing might be is because this is a podcast that I want to have another episode of. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to like, share. Yeah, share with both your friends. And subscribe to the podcast. And remember, we have a free 22-day sales challenge. Just go to Gutimer.com slash sales challenge to start you on your way.